No energy? Always fatigued? Has your got up and go got up and went? Primrose Leafs Pro Max 365 helps to produce natural energy, increase endurance and stamina, improve performance during exercise, reduce pain from fibromyalgia, and is excellent for cardiovascular support. A doctor-designed, deliciously berry-flavored formula that's great for ages 18 to 99. Order Pro Max 365 and get the natural energy you've always wanted. Call 844-376-0007. Refuel daily with Pro Max 365 and get your life back. Rick Burt serves as the president and CEO of SAD, Students Against Destructive Decisions at the national level. Rick implements the long-term direction of SAD, empowering the millions of students in which they serve. An expert in the matters of youth health and safety, Rick has authored several publications that feature SAD's unique form of a peer-to-peer approach that is vital to creating lasting behavior change in today's youth. And Rick Burt provides perspective for parents on the best practices for helping their teens succeed. A SAD alumni himself, he has over a decade of prevention experience. So ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome our very special guest, Rick Burt, to discuss their mission, as well as how depression is affecting today's youth. Welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. Really excited to be with you today. Well, I am so glad that you are here with us because this is a very important subject that so many parents as well as grandparents are concerned about. But for all of my viewers and listeners out there who don't know about who SAD is, can you tell us about your mission and how students and parents can get involved? Absolutely. We've been around for over four decades. Many of our viewers might remember us as Students Against Drunk Driving. We started back in the 80s with a singular focus on alcohol-impaired driving. Over the years, our students came to us and said that they still thought this was an important issue, but there are so many other risks and pressures that young people are facing. So in the late 90s, we changed the name to be Students Against Destructive Decisions to reflect this broader approach to prevention. So today we have over 9,000 chapters in middle schools, high schools, and colleges working on the issues of mobility, safety, substance use, mental health and leadership development, helping to empower teens, engage parents and other adult allies, mobilize communities, and hopefully change lives for the better and keep everyone safe. Well, you know, it was it was so interesting that you brought up uh, Students Against Drunk Driving because at first when I saw uh, the nomenclature, I was like, wait a minute, isn't is that the same organization? And here you are just right. uh, telling us that. And I love the way that it's progressed because today there are destructive decisions in today's teens. So ladies and gentlemen, think about this, that they not only handle underage drinking and as driving as the past, mm-hmm. but drug use, eating disorders, consent. Wow. That's a big subject on its own. Um, and also again, right. destructive decisions. So Where do you have all of these chapters, and then how do people get involved? Yeah, so uh, they are based in all 50 states, all four of the territories, in middle schools, high schools, and colleges. So think of it as an after-school club or a community function. Some of our chapters are based in houses of worship or community centers. The, The beautiful thing about SAD is that it's really versatile and can really fit the needs of the community. The needs of the students can be a great resource for teens and parents alike. Uh, Getting involved with SAD could not be easier. You simply visit our website, www.sadd.org. In the top right-hand corner, you'll see a Get Involved icon. You click on that icon, and you can either register a new chapter, 
So maybe uh, you might be in a community and you don't know if you have a chapter, you can register with us or contact our field team also through that link and get involved. We also, in the, the wake of COVID-19, have created virtual chapters. So for our homeschool audiences, for our community centers, or uh, maybe for a group of, uh, of a Bible study or other individuals you might want to get together, you can use that virtual chapter as an opportunity to access our resources. Once you're registered, you get access to those resources, over 100 programs, activities, campaigns, and toolkits, access to scholarships and contests, other resources and mobilization opportunities to get involved on the whole litany of issues that you just mentioned uh, and many more. Our communications calendar literally has an observance for just about every week so that students and parents can choose the issues that matter most to them, so that can access our, our partners and data to look at what the data is showing us are those biggest issues and then respond in a way that's most effective, which we believe is that peer-to-peer -peer element while also providing resources for parents, grandparents, and other what we call adult allies who want to make sure everybody stays safe. Wow, yeah, you really have it completely covered and and literally just thought of everything. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you want to get involved with sad.org, there is you have every <clears throat> you have every avenue, a very easy avenue to get involved, even like Rick said, create your own chapter if you have to if there's not one in your area. So, many of you, you contact me, you say, "Dr. Bond, you know, we got to do something about today's youth." Well, guess what? Here it is. Rick Burton is bringing us, who is the president and CEO again of sad.org. But Rick, let's get into something that's very important. I know that Blue Monday is coming up. Yeah. What is that and how can parents support their kids during this time? Yeah, Blue Monday is typically the third Monday in January, and for many years, it's been called the most depressing day of the year. Now, I, I can't say that that actually is statistically the most depressing day, but we use it as an opportunity to look at seasonal depression and look at the issues of mental health, which really have been an ongoing challenge for young people, especially in the wake of COVID-19. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention issued a new report just a few weeks ago that shares with us that one in four teens in the U.S. is struggling right now with a diagnosable mental health condition, anxiety, depression, bipolarism, the list goes on and on, really for a number of reasons. First of all, the loss of social and emotional learning that we saw during COVID. Many of our students were confined to a, a Zoom box or to virtual engagement, so a lot of those pivotal moments of development when you uh, have that first crush and you don't know how to respond, when you maybe fail that test, when you don't make the basketball team, whatever that mo those moments are that are so important to our emotional and social development, those really didn't happen. And so it creates a vacuum now where young people are having issues responding and, and catching up in that development. Combine that with the ongoing challenges of social media and the fact that we live in a constantly connected society we know that cyberbullying is at an all-time high with many young people reporting challenges that they're facing and escaping uh, those, those pressures. We can talk more about uh, finstas and fake social media uh, elements that have been on the rise. But there's a, a number of factors that, that lead to this increase that we've seen in depression. So we want to use this opportunity to draw attention to this and also release our updated mental health toolkit. So on our website, again, sad.org, Parents can access our free resource guide. It's going to do a couple of things. Number one, I give some insight into how parents and teens can talk about these issues in a way that's real and authentic. If you're a parent, you may not know how to start that conversation to make sure that your teen is, well, doing okay. Uh, so there's resources in there to start that conversation. 
There's also access points for, hey, you know, I've noticed some changes in my young person. Uh, how do I connect it to resources? Things like accessing your local mental health board, how to have a conversation with your primary care physician, and also the new national hotline, 988, which went live this fall. Just like you would call 911 for a medical emergency, anyone can call 988 on any landline or cellular device or any VoIP system and access a 24-hour mental health care system. So if you have a, a loved one that's in crisis, if you have a situation where you're not sure if you should get involved, you can call them, maybe talk to a trained counselor, get access to resources and much more. So using our guide helps you get plugged into those resources. We also have uh, toolkits and activities for our SAD chapters who want to be mobilized to talk about these issues. How do you remove the stigma? Because in many parts of our country, there still is a stigma on mental health. Uh, and we like to say that it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay not to get help. So we want to work mm. together to remove that stigma and provide resources for all of our stakeholder groups so that, again, we can make sure that we're talking about and normalizing the conversation around mental health just like we would our physical health. Well, I'm surprised that you know you bring up uh, – so people – that need information, uh, they can just dial 988. I have literally never heard of that. So it's just like dialing 911, yeah, just, but you just dial 988. Exactly. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's it, it went live. It went it went live this fall. So it's a relatively relatively new feature. Ah. Okay. So and you bring up something very important that a lot of people don't think about. I don't think it's talked about enough. But during the pandemic, and, and you bring it up. Uh, perfectly, where all of our students uh, had to stay at home. Many of them lived in the Zoom box. Their only connection to the outside world was through their computer or their iPad. Not having any physical uh, social ability whatsoever, and that really spiked, yeah. you know, the levels of mental health and even depression. How can parents and grandparents? Uh, what are the signs they need to look for in in their children and their teens to see if there is a depressive problem uh, starting to emerge? Yeah, we, we like to think that this goes back to establishing some good habits for hygiene, just like you would do habits for your physical health. The same thing for mental health. And the first step there is having regular conversations with a young person that get beyond yes or no questions. Uh, or one word answers, you know, the, the classic, how was your day? Fine. What did you learn at school? Nothing. We have a tool in our mental health toolkit. There's a discussion guide, which asks and lists a number of questions that parents and grandparents can use to start that conversation. For example, what's one thing you did today that you're proud of? What's one opportunity you have tomorrow to improve? Is there anything that you're worried about tomorrow? Questions like that that are more open-ended that allow you to see where your psyche uh, of, your, of your young person is. There's also resources there uh, to notice some of those signs, just like you said. What are, what are those signs? You know, what we talk about are changes in our everyday attitude, changes in our physical appearance that create an ongoing challenge to you know, basic function. So if you see maybe some weight loss or weight gain in a young person, that's a red flag. If you see long-term changes in attitude, maybe being more reclusive, changes to their social schedule uh, or how outgoing they are, those are opportunities you want to you know, get involved. A lot of folks are using, you know, January for that that physical health check-in where they go to their family doctor, do their wellness visit. Uh, we have a checklist in our toolkit 
to do the same thing with our mental health. Uh, a lot of it goes back, quite frankly, to screen time. Uh, we know that we all are uh, addicted, quite frankly, to our, our tech devices. Uh, and a lot of teens, uh, because of academics, are spending more time on their devices, but creating healthy boundaries around uh, digital distractions and digital dependency is so important to also regulating and keeping that mental health. The more things that we can do uh, as a family or in social situations that are unplugged, there's new research showing that that creates a, an opportunity to improve that mental health and can actually decrease the chances of depression and anxiety in young people. I mean, it's no wonder uh, we're always getting, you know, vibrations on our, our wrists, uh, on, in our pocket from our devices. So uh, the more that we can unplug and as we like to say, as we can text less and live more, which is one of our programs, uh, the more the more balance we'll find in our lives, which brings balance to our mental health. Wow. Perfect. I, I love that. Text less and live more. And we all need to live by that motto. Boy, thank you for bringing that up, Rick. I appreciate that. Now, social media, this is a biggie. It can cause depression and even worse, comparison to others. So what advice can you share to help students set boundaries on social media? Yeah, you use the, the the best word there, Doc. The the first thing to do is to set boundaries. Make sure that you know we're limiting access. That we're you know it's it, there. Let's be candid here. Social media is designed to be addicting, uh, and so there's literally a, a biochemical reaction that happens in our brain when we get that notification, when we have that engagement. So we need to make sure that just like we would be limiting, you know, the number of sweets that we have or, or other substances, we're limiting our access to that, that dopamine producer. So make sure that parents set screen parameters that, hey, you know what, during these times, yeah, be on social media. But we also have to remember that screen time has a direct impact and social media can have a direct impact on our sleep schedule. Uh, and so disconnecting and unplugging at least two hours before bedtime is a great opportunity to kind of begin to wind down, limit that blue light, uh, and set some healthy boundaries. I also encourage parents to say, hey, you know, could there be a spot where maybe as a family, you all plug in your phones together? I know sometimes there's a concern about security, but maybe upstairs outside the bedroom, you plug in your phones together because many teens and adults uh, will find themselves scrolling through that social media as they're going to sleep, being that first thing they check up. We've seen great success disconnecting where you're sleeping from that tech to really create a better environment for your psyche, for your physical health, because you're then going to be sleeping more. Uh, and to also then again, have frank conversations around social media, making sure that you're following your young person on their social media platforms, that you're having conversations about appropriate and inappropriate content. The old antage, it's true. Once you post it, it never goes away. Uh, and I can say as someone who has a national staff, when I go to hire someone, the first thing I do, I look at social media. So I think having some of those conversations as a, as a parent, as someone who's you know maybe in the workforce or has had some experience there and reminding teens about uh, the fact that even though we do live in a constantly connected universe, a very noisy universe where everyone's sharing their opinions, there can be consequences for that as well. And again, our Text Loss More program covers that in some detail and helps set those healthy parameters for teens and parents alike. You know, Rick, man, I am so glad you are on the program today. You This is something so important, ladies and gentlemen. And you bring something up because social media, it can be great, but it can also be a cesspool. And in the areas of bullying, this is, this is very... Yeah. This is very, um, 
I'm not going to say hard to explain, but it's kind of like this. And you said it, we have to be careful what we post. You know, you may make a little, you think you're making a joking comment or maybe a little snarky comment. You're, You're trying to be funny, but there are thousands upon thousands of people who may read it, but they don't see your emotion behind that. And then you're inundated with a lot of bullying, a lot of hate, a lot of negative. And sometimes with social media, a lot of people don't realize we can actually create self-bullying by just what we put out there on a tweet, a Facebook post, an Instagram comment, uh, maybe some crazy TikTok deal that kids love to do. But then all of a sudden you get all this negativity and they don't know how to handle that. And do you yeah. provide toolkits on, on your site on how to handle, let's say, uh, gee, I wish I didn't do that on social media. Is there a way for teens and kids to say, whoa, okay, you know, this too shall pass? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're talking a little bit about some crisis communication, right? When you've posted something that you know, maybe you wish you had. We, we do have some resources on that, not only on the Text Less Live More side, but also uh, in our mental health toolkit and also in our bullying section, because we've seen that very same thing, uh, right? Teens, by their very nature, uh, their frontal lobes and their, their frontal cortex, they haven't developed fully. So they're not they're the, the part of the brain that processes information and thinks about consequences and long-term effects it's literally not fully developed till the age of 25 research shows us so uh, not a, not an uncommon thing right so what we try to do is again uh, take a prevention uh, based approach and say okay let's try to set healthy parameters from the beginning uh, as preteens are are getting on social media maybe parents start with one platform to establish some norms and some expectations of how to handle that one platform Parents should also realize that every platform and the risks associated with that platform vary greatly. The content that a TikTok creates is very different than what you would post on, say, a Snapchat program or in Facebook, uh, if any teens still have Facebook. So what understanding the, the, the nuances of the channels is really important. And also understanding that, uh, again, making sure that you as a parent or a grandparent are, are a part of that community is really important, that you also uh, are following along to see what they're posting, uh, that you're a, a little bit up on the lingo. So if you hear, I alluded to this earlier, call it a Finsta. A Finsta is a fake Instagram. And what's happened is teens have their their Instagram, if you will, or their normal platform. But then they sometimes can create a fake profile that maybe has a different name or a different identity. And from that platform, they can either befriend their other friends, Finstas, uh, or in some cases, that's where a lot of bullying happens. Say that you have your Instagram account and I create a Finsta, I can now bully you from my fake account and you would have no idea who that person is. So one of the challenges of social media is this anonymity of who people are uh, and how, like you said, how much content that we release out, teens by nature, and I think, again, many adults uh, have a tendency to overshare. Understanding that once you put that out there, uh, you know, there's an inherent nature that anything can be picked apart. It's also a safety feature, right? A safety issue. We try to remind teens that, you know, the more you post about being involved in softball or you, uh, the neighborhood block party, a lot of that information, especially if you have certain phones now, can actually geo embed the location of those photos. Uh, and it can be very easy for someone who maybe has some, uh, some sinister interest to, to try to find that content. So again, 
creating those parameters just isn't about mental health. It's also about safety and making sure that you're aware of what you put out there and not only, you know, be create an environment where it can be used against you, but can also threaten your physical safety as well. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, for, I mean, I'm very careful when I post uh, on any social media platform and I have a lot of them. And sometimes you want to type up something and say something. And, and before you hit send or enter, you go like, nah, this, this is, it's not even worth the time or the conversation. It's better off just reading other people's I, stuff and keeping your mouth shut. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, it was once shared with me that no hearts or mind were ever changed by a social media post. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, yeah, so really more, thinking about. Yeah, there's more damage to me today, not only to kids and teens on social media, because they don't understand the outside world in which we live in because they don't have that life experience like you and I do. And of course, there's a lot of adults right. who are sharing way too much information on social media. And a lot of people don't realize that social media, you can create your own pro your own pile of problems, create your, well, an environment in which you become depressed when you probably should, like I know I have friends who literally deleted all of their social media platforms. And like you said, text less, live more. And that's what they've chose to do. And that's the smart thing to do. Uh, but I want you to share yeah. with us very quickly here because you are in Washington, DC. You're a stone's throw mm -hmm. from the White House. Uh, what kind of yeah. experience have you had dealing with uh, congressmen, uh, senators, and House of Representatives? What kind of a response have you received from them? Yeah, we're very fortunate to have incredible relationships on both sides of the aisle and in Congress and also with the various administrations. Uh, luckily, these issues aren't partisan, right? Everyone can get behind supporting young people, making sure that we're talking about their health and safety because, you know, it's cliche to say that students are our future. I, I push back on that and say they're our present. They're not the leaders of tomorrow. They're the leaders of today. And the 400,000 members of SAD that we have are very active. They're speaking to their school boards. They're talking to their city council. We have a fair number of alumni who are now members of Congress and were just sworn in uh, or will soon be sworn in as members of Congress and are active in state legislatures. So we like to think of ourselves as advocates for these issues. Moving beyond the, the partisanship, which is sometimes the gridlock, but really talking about these issues and making sure that we're pursuing policy that helps protect young people, that, again, positions our communities to be responsive to these issues, that, again, highlights the urgency of these matters. Because when we're talking about things like fentanyl and vaping and cybersecurity and safety, these really are life and death issues. Uh, we're losing more Americans now to overdose deaths than ever before in our history. And those numbers uh, while we're still tallying them for 2022, are going to be very pertinent to us shaping policy that can keep people safe. Uh, and a lot of what happens here in D.C., yeah, it's important, but it's just as important we remind our students to be involved in those city council meetings, to make sure they're active in their school board process, those kinds of, uh, of matters as well. So we uh, advocate, as we say, uh, on, a, on a number of issues at every level. And we think that's so important to have engaged and engaged citizenship uh, and that starts at, at a young age. Well, then let me ask you this real quick, because you said for those that uh, are watching or listening and they want to get involved, maybe into a chapter that's yeah. already formed in their area, or maybe they need to create one because they don't have one. But in schools, yeah. um, 
does a student form their own chapter uh, with your help or is there an adult that needs to be overseeing that chapter if it's within a school? It's very easy. Uh, students can create a virtual chapter on their own. They can join their state chapters. Every state has a chapter that meets monthly, so you can participate in those in a virtual setting. Uh, if you want to start a chapter through your school, we do need an advisor, so that's a caring adult. That is most oftentimes a teacher or a community member that wants to help with the paperwork and help provide some guidance to the chapter. All of that's in our quick start manual that's on our website as well, or you can DM us on your favorite social media platform, reach out to us through our website, or give us a call uh, here at our office, and our field team's happy to get you set up, get you connected with the chapter, or get you off and running uh, to get involved as well. Wow, Rick, I am so glad you, uh, again, uh, shared your time with us today. And ladies and gentlemen, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give an absolute shout out right now for all of you who are principals of schools. Uh, if you're a teacher, you're a coach, maybe you're a pastor or a youth leader. Look, we got to help today's youth. And this is a very, one of the most respected organizations that literally focus on today's teens and we need to give them every tool, as I said before, and as Rick has been doing, to succeed, to succeed greatly. You know, they our, our kids today, our teens, they're inundated with so much negativity and bullying and all these facets that surround them. But guess what? As adults, we can bring something to them. And again, sad.org. So go to sad.org. And even if you just want to make a donation, go directly to that website and then learn about their mission, which their mission is to provide students with the best prevention tools possible to deal with the issues of underage drinking, drug use, eating disorders, consent, even impaired driving and other destructive decisions. We want to be that positive force and sad.org is that positive force for today's thing. So uh, again, uh, Rick, I want to thank you so much for guiding us, taking us down that path for and learning more about the sad.org students against destructive decisions. So thank you for helping us to uh, well stand up and do our part and help you as well to succeed. Thanks for having me, doctor. Really appreciate it. Hey, you bet. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Rick Burt president and CEO of sad.org, Students Against Destructive Decisions. And as for me, stick around. We'll be right back with more.